Welcome to Kindred Media, a nonprofit initiative of Kindred World. Kindred has gathered thought leaders, researchers, and activists exploring the new story of the human family for over 15 years. Visit our website for our new story features, interviews, podcasts, and video collections at www.kindredmedia.org. That's www.kindredmedia.org. Welcome to Kindred. This is Lisa Reagan, and today I'm here with Dr. Stephanie Mines, who is a neuropsychologist. She is the author of We Are All in Shock, New Frontiers in Sensory Integration, and most recently, They Were Families, How War Comes Home. Her blend of Western and Eastern modality offers the best of both paradigms. She is devoted to the ending the lineage of shock and trauma for individuals and the world. To this end, she has developed the Terra approach for the resolution of shock and trauma, which is taught internationally and is a clinically tested comprehensive treatment design. She has also developed climate change and consciousness, our legacy to the earth, and last year convened a global gathering in Northern Scotland. And today she is with us to talk about prenatal psychology and its connection to climate change. And she is a forthcoming contributor on this subject to the Parenting as a Hero's Journey Work and Playbook. So welcome, Dr. Mines. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> it is polony here in Virginia. I apologize for my raspy voice uh, as we get started here. But I'm very happy to have all this beautiful green pollen and springtime. Um, it is glorious out there. So. And you were talking to us, I'm in Virginia and you're in Oregon, is that right? Right, yeah, out in the woods in the ancient forest in Oregon, yeah. Wonderful. So I'll just give our listeners heads up because where we're going is a little bit of uncharted territory, which is our favorite place to be at Kindred anyway. And Stephanie is going to build us a bridge uh, between prenatal psychology and climate change and our own consciousness. Uh, I can tell you because this is new, I couldn't really prepare very well. So my questions are going to be uh, genuinely don't know, what does this mean? <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you take it away and, and get us starting on the build, uh, building of this bridge. Thank you very much, Lisa. And I truly am grateful to you for recognizing the importance of building this bridge. It has been dear to my heart for some time and it's a slow engineering project. Uh, it is, however, I think amplified in terms of its necessity by the magnitude of change that we're experiencing in our world. And right in this moment, everyone listening is able to listen in a state of pandemic. We are all at home, we are all with our families, and we are in a retreat situation, not of our own choosing, but because of the healthcare crisis that we're in. So the bridge that I wanna build is made even more important by this crisis. So 
maybe we could just start with some defining of prenatal psychology, just to make sure everyone listening understands this field. Yes, this is a field that is innovative in many regards and ancient at the same time. I, I seem to be able to bridge uh, past and uh, present and future uh, in many of the things that I do because I rely upon ancient wisdom, what is timeless. But as a neuroscientist, I'm also very much engaged in current research uh, about brain development, which is enhanced by the technologies that we have available. So pre and perinatal psychology is based from my perspective as a neuroscientist on the way that the brain develops in utero. So that prenatal development that is launched at conception, I'll repeat that, brain development is launched at conception. So the conceptus already has embedded in its structure the cellular template for the brain that will evolve out of that tissue. That suggests that there is a level of consciousness that begins that early in life. And pre and perinatal psychology is a form of embryogenesis, you might say, a form of embryology, a form of understanding this embryological unfolding that leads to the mind-body connection. So I have charted this, I have researched it and studied it, and try to codify it in a sense of noting from a psychological hallmark standpoint, the critical periods in prenatal development that we, uh, as the parents, as the adults in that child's environment, can maximize through our relationship and our stewarding of early development. So I'd like to speak for a moment with great compassion to parents and practitioners who are listening, who, when I first, for example, heard about prenatal psychology, uh, it made sense to me. Um, the science is solid, but it made me feel despairing because it seems like it establishes um, this benchmark for what we could be as human beings, except that there's no way that I, as a mother by myself in our culture, could really support this piece. Uh, I, did, I did not feel like I could. And um, I'm just, I want to, before people tune out because they're like, oh gosh, uh, maybe they're even feeling triggered. I'd just like to speak to that. I'm so appreciative that you're giving this heads up so early in our conversation. I am myself a mother and a grandmother, and so I'm acutely sensitive to the concerns that you raise. And I want to encourage those listening to hang in with us and realize that our experiences as parents, uh, first of all, are always imperfect. <laughs> There's no way to parent uh, perfectly. Uh, and the learning that we experienced as parents 
is in fact the perfection because it's our consciousness of what's occurring, including our consciousness of what we've done imperfectly uh, that allows us to contribute to the future of humanity. It's when we try to block the awareness of whatever, and I don't even want to say mistakes because they're not mistakes, they're experiences. But, you know, I, I have raised my children uh, with evolving consciousness of what it means to be a parent and what it means to be a mother uh, under diverse circumstances, uh, relational struggles, uh, environmental conditions that had consequences. And I am still parenting. I'm still parenting my adult children and I'm still parenting my grandchildren in a world that grows increasingly unbelievably complex. So we're all in new territory. Parenting is always entering into the unknown. And I want to encourage all who are listening to be self-loving and self-accepting and self-forgiving and to become spacious in entering the awareness that neuroscience makes available to us of what is possible. These are the things my mom, bless her heart, could never have known and in the struggles that she went through in raising me under very trying circumstances. We are blessed to have the awareness that is available to us now. So if we can come into uh, this information that we're going to share with uh, gratitude and consciousness and feel fortunate to become increasingly more aware, we recognize what an incredible contribution this is to the children of the future, to human collective consciousness. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And I, I wanted to say a lot of what we see out in the prenatal psychology world now is addressing practices for uh, the adults themselves and their own prenatal um, and postnatal trauma. So uh, there is a, a huge body out there of, of uh, information and resources for healers in that realm. So we are not without resources. <laughs> um, so how are we going to build this bridge between prenatal psychology, now that we have a definition, and climate change, which is what's going on right now in our world, although it's kind of being uh, overshadowed by the pandemic. Um, I'm sure you could speak to those, the relationship between those things <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, so first of all, what I wanna say is that we're gonna build this bridge together. I think the reason the bridge that I started to build now more than a decade ago, really, uh, as I became aware of the impact of environmental contaminants on the developing embryo and the developing baby. And of course, for me, these awarenesses are always coupled with self-awareness. Uh, as I became aware, for instance, of the impact of environmental contaminants that I was exposed to on my evolution, I became enthusiastic about sharing that awareness with others so that we could protect developing children. So this 
is more than a decade ago that I started to build this bridge so that the world of pre and perinatal psychology, the, what I have loosely called the birthing community, the community of people that invest in the understanding of prenatal development and attachment parenting and parenting as a steward role, uh, I wanted that awareness of environmental impacts on the developing baby uh, to be infused into the education of parents and parents-to-be. This pandemic that has put us all on retreat uh, is in fact the product of climate change. It's not a separate category. It is the direct outgrowth of our climate crisis. Uh, it is the direct outgrowth of environmental contaminants, of in particular pesticides and also the abuse of animal husbandry and the way that animals in our food chain have suffered from those contaminants. So it's a culmination of what has created the climate crisis and this will not be the only pandemic. This will not be the only novel threat that we experience to our health. This is the beginning of many iterations and even when we find the inoculation against this particular coronavirus, there will be another one for which we do not have an inoculation. So the impact of what we've done to our environment out of our disconnection from ourselves and from the earth, that those consequences are playing out dramatically now and will continue to do so we can still make a difference. And the difference is in connection. The difference is in being a voice for our living earth. And the difference is in stewarding for the children of the future. The difference is in consciousness. It is actually in inner climate and that's what I want to speak to. That's what this bridge consists of. It consists of consciousness. It consists of our capacity as adults to fulfill our responsibility as stewards for young children now, for young people, and for the children of the future. To steward without awareness of the existential and physiological and literal crisis that we're in, I feel is an error. So your worldview is one of uh, interconnectivity and uh, there's a continuity between um, preconception, conception, birth, and then into our, out into our world, our environment, and our, our place we find ourselves right now. But this is not the worldview most people and most of us live in, even when we're trying <laughs> some days. I don't get there. So how does that happen? How did that happen neurologically that we don't see it? Um, how do we, and how do we get that vision, of that capacity back? 
Beautiful. Uh, I love your questions, Lisa. They're so helpful uh, for the message that I want to share. So my dear colleague and friend, Vandana Shiva, speaks of what she calls fossil fuel brain. That in fact, we have been co-opted in many ways by a corporate society that accepts the degradation and the severing of our connection to the natural world. And try as we might, we have been swept up in that contamination. So for instance, my uh, book, They Were Families, How War Comes Home, speaks about what in the psychological world is called secondary traumatization or vicarious re-traumatization, which is a state in which we are infected by a worldview. So we've been infected uh, by the fossil fuel industry in a, a broad definition of what that means. The, the consumerism, even those of us who resist it, uh, we have still been contaminated by it. And that has attached onto whatever early trauma we might have experienced. So many of us, because of the industrialization of birth, uh, which is part of that uh, rubric of fossil fuel brain, uh, we have early experiences that caused us to lose our connection quite early on uh, with organic and natural development, and we created compensations for that. And we created those compensations because of how much we want to be here and how much we want to live and how much we want to make a contribution. So those compensations frequently become addictions. And those addictions shape our neurological development. So the inner climate uh, detoxification, the, the clearing of the inner climate obstacles for the adults in the world is part of this bridge building as well, that we are able to come out of this fossil fuel brain state confidently and express the truth to our children uh, in new ways when we have cleared the traumas in our own lives. Then we are empowered and then we fulfill our purpose. This is the premise of the Tara approach. And it's the premise of my own life because I have found this voice that you're now hearing because of my own resolution of my very traumatic prenatal life and birth, uh, my very violent and traumatic early years, and the distortions that led me to replicate those traumas. Uh, I have been able, through the resources that I've cultivated, to find the natural voice uh, that I actually came here to articulate. Hmm. Which sounds like something that should be a human birthright for everyone. I love that, that you use the word birthright because that 
word says everything to me. All my work is about human birthright. When we reclaim our birthright to have our authentic voice, when we reclaim our birthright to parent as a hero's journey, which is encoded in the cells of our body, we know how to do this, but it's been distorted, but we can reclaim it. There's no question in my mind or my body that we can reclaim it. Oh, in that process of reclamation, we know what to do. And I, I have to say, I love the title of your book, Parenting as a Hero's Journey, uh, as a Heroine's Journey. Uh, parent, parenting from that place of grassroots empowerment, of somatic empowerment. I'm, I'm so honored to be part of that process. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, you're bringing such an important piece to uh, this book and, and, and to parents and practitioners uh, with, with, with this piece here. I, I wanted to uh, address what you just said, though, about how to tell a narrative to a child. How, what is the narrative that we would tell children that would be empowering and not a repetitious pattern that would lead to more transgenerational trauma. And I say that knowing, again, with great compassion that most of us are in a place where we have to conform to live. Uh, you know, we have to have, we have the job that we have to hold down and, um, and the, the public school systems that uh, if our children are going to make it in this world, as dysfunctional as it is, you know, they're going to have to get an education and go. So there's, this is the part where I feel um, the overwhelm come in and I've written about this before uh, to, to try to, uh, when we see it's not one thing, it's everything. And that, that was a revelation to me early on in my motherhood and it, it was a setback for a while. Oh my gosh, where do I even begin? This is not one thing, it's everything. And then I began where I was with what I could do because that's all I could do. Um, but what is the narrative? What, what would that look like? What would we tell children that would be empowering? Um, this is exactly the bridge that we have to build together. And I believe that articulation begins when the child is in utero. So those people who are thinking about being parents at this time, those people who are in the early stages or whatever stage of pregnancy you might be in, those who are parenting small children uh, and young people, we need to build that bridge together because I believe it is our responsibility to be honest with our children. And this is the simple takeaway that I have from all of my years of studying prenatal brain development, all my years of investigating uh, my own early life and of being a mother and a grandmother. Uh, I come away with a very simple statement about what uh, this hero's journey is. It's honesty. It's mm. the truth. You tell your children the truth. It's how you tell them. Uh, that we need to discuss and evolve together. But children always already know the truth, including in utero. Mm. How they know it varies because, of course, 
and the preverbal periods, they know it preverbally, they know it somatically, they know it through their senses. As children develop, they continue to know the truth. It just evolves and then is shaped by how we are interacting with them. So telling the truth is the bottom line. Yeah. How we tell that truth is the product of the wisdom that we cultivate. And I'm defining that wisdom as our own evolution as stewards, how we have resolved the traumas in our lives, how we are resolving those traumas because that's an ongoing process and how we come more and more into spiritual alignment so that when we deliver the truth to our children, it comes out of alignment. It comes out of an understanding that these children are not our children. They are life's longing for itself. It comes out of the differentiation that we make between who we are and who they are. And it comes out of our compassionate dedication and responsibility to the future of human consciousness. So how we tell the truth is shaped uh, by all of that. Hmm. So what is the next step? So I feel like the next step is building the bridge. This is a very important step from my standpoint. Uh, and it involves waking up on the part of the, what I loosely call the birthing community, the parent education uh, organizations to incorporate the truth about our environment, the truth about the future of humanity uh, into their parenting education so that the consciousness of the truth where we are as a human civilization uh, is integrated into understanding what it means to bear children now, to raise children now. It's not the same world. It's not the same concerns. When I first started uh, exploring pre and perinatal psychology and preparing resources for pregnancy, uh, which I have e extensive uh, resource handbooks and documents and charts that help people who are becoming parents do that with more attunement, with more awareness of the brains of their developing babies. Uh, the world that is our present reality now is, is not the same world uh, as 20 years ago. Uh, it's a world that is undergoing such drastic uh, reformatting that it is our responsibility to prepare our children, our developing children for that. And this is a, a task that we simply need to rise to the occasion of meeting and, and we can only do that collectively. And this is what is called whole systems change, by the way, which would make it a lot easier on the individual parent like I was in the beginning thinking I have to figure this out by myself and, you know, find other people to work with to do this and by ourselves. 
but what we have found, um, and there, there are a lot of articles on Kindred I can refer people to. Uh, there's one with uh, Joan Williams from the Work-Life Law Center, and they're looking at this top line ability to just even speak the correct words and language to, to lawmakers, because apparently you need to do that, so, so that they will agree with you that breastfeeding is something that needs to be supported and protected in the workplace, and in general, along with paid leave and the other pieces that need to be done for parents and, uh, and this next generation so that their neurobiology develops optimally. Um, and in our system right now, which is very profit driven, uh, we only see, oh, that's going to cost a lot of money. Um, first of all, they, they've shown it doesn't, but uh, we're going to pay up front or we're going to pay on the end. We're going to pay for people's misdeveloped, undeveloped neurobiology in a system that's not sustainable, or we're going to do it right out of the chute. And we have we certainly seem like we have the science now, and we have a lot of resources out there. Um, it is this systemic change piece of where does that begin? How do we fire that up? Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, have, I have a feeling, and you could speak to this, that this pandemic is going to uh, change a lot of people's opinions on these issues. Absolutely, and I really appreciate the bringing in of whole systems change. So our financial system is undergoing enormous change in the moment, in real time. Our economy, our agriculture, our food sourcing, all of that is undergoing enormous change. So it's inevitable, it's happening actually right now that our healthcare system is going to shift dramatically. And it is only natural then that the way that we have our babies, the way that we raise our babies, the way that we parent is going to have to shift as well. And we, we need to rise to that occasion and we can. That's the piece that I have as a neuroscientist that fills me with optimism every day. We are resilient, evolving beings. We can do this. We can rise to this occasion. Now, I, I feel like I can only say that uh, because of my experience of that. Uh, and that experience is really personal. So I personally have experienced brain resiliency as a product of the healing processes that have happened for me, that I have instigated and the resources that I have and that I share. And if I didn't have that personal experience, I would not be able to talk about resiliency in this way. So let's take a look uh, in a very grounded way at what it would look like to build this bridge. Okay. Uh, I, I think it would look like those people who have the progressive intelligence to see the necessity for this coming together and revamping all the parent education, all the birthing education uh, literature that we have and putting it into context for this time. To me, that would be the first step. It would be a loving 
compassionate collaborative of those people who have been maintaining these structures, which thank God exist and which have been, you know, pioneering birth education, prenatal education, pre and perinatal psychology, all of the fields related to that. Thank God we have a wonderful network um, that has made incredible advances and has educational structures in place. Those all need to be brought up to speed for our current time. Everybody, I believe, is in a process like that now. I mean, I have to revamp my website. I have to revamp my training. I have to revamp the way I do my training um, based on these accelerated changes that we knew were coming. We knew this was coming, but now it's here. And the pandemic just spells it out. So I would, if I could, I can't because I'm uh, just one person, but I would instigate that collaborative uh, meeting digitally, obviously, a collaborative meeting online um, of these organizations uh, that would speak to how they can implement this upgrade in understanding and education for parents and parents-to-be. So it, it, as, as the people that formed those organizations and those structures, I feel that responsibility uh, to be able to educate the people I know uh, so that they don't feel, as you were saying, so alone. So, you know, just trying to pull it together by themselves. Let's, let's give community to this bridge. Let's make this a bridge of community. Mm. You know, I do see that happening now. Uh, I, I do have to say it's, it's almost like a, a switch flipped on and people seem to be calling upon their, their memory of what it is to work in community awfully quickly. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, my, my inner cynic is going, wait, what? <laughs> Look at that. Look at how these, these you know, the, every, the truckers are, are bringing, uh, you know, supplies to places. Uh, people are getting together, making masks for the medical workers, but that um, instinctual, maybe, ability to work together in community towards a common cause and a common good, uh, it seems to be alive and well. Yeah, it is. It is really perking up. That is a wonderful byproduct. Uh, it, it doesn't, you know, negate the tragic losses, but we see it. I, I've, I've seen so much of this. It's so uplifting. You know, I saw one photograph of two women in Sweden who had apartments at opposite ends of a hall and they opened the doors of their apartments and they put little tables out the door with teacups and flowers and they had tea together from across the hall. I saw something just a little while ago about a postal person. I mean, Thank God for these incredible people who are still delivering our mail and taking away our garbage. And this postal person was dressing up in a fantastic costume uh, and delivering the mail in costume so that people who saw him were cheered. And of course, we've seen the Italian singers on their balconies and the musicians playing music from their homes 
this is a beautiful upwelling of human connectivity. And I know that we can do this within the birth and parenting education community as well, that we can rise to the occasion and build bridges uh, of education and outreach and support those people who are parents of little ones. Uh, you know, I did this webinar yesterday about uh, resources in our crisis, and there were many parents, grandparents, and teachers on that webinar who were lost and heartbroken uh, that they could not convey to these children a sense of optimism and hope because they themselves didn't feel optimism and hope. They felt fear, confusion, uh, and they were threatened by the situation. They didn't know when it would end. They didn't know where it was leading. And that personal level of uh, despair is what we who are stewards and leaders need to face and authentically make a difference in how we communicate with those who are caring for the most important people in the world, which are our children and our children in utero. Yes, that was a wonderful call yesterday. Uh, I was very happy to be a part of it. And you know, I would like for you to just take a moment and speak to the vision of the, the healthcare uh, system that you envision we're going to need very quickly now. Thank you. Uh, this uh, is the concept of sustainable health for a climate changing world. And it incorporates into this vision these very resources for parents and parents to be. And it involves putting into the hands of people at the grassroots level the time tested resources that have endured centuries of crisis that have proven helpful. And combining those resources with contemporary neuroscience. So my own TARA approach is a fusion of a time-tested hands-on modality with contemporary neuroscience in the form of the resolution of trauma. So I fuse those together in my system, but I am not the only one to do that. Other systems have transmitted some of these time-tested resources. So the example in the Tara approach is a hands-on meridian-based applied touch system that I have clinically tested and clinically tested with children. So the resources that I can offer have to do with the ways in which a parent can hold certain areas, for instance, on a child's body that will help that child's nervous system to come out of anxiety, distress, frustration, or physiological symptomology uh, that could relate to the climate crisis health consequences. So parents learn how to operate uh, in delivering health resources when there isn't a pediatrician to go to, when there isn't access to agency-based Healthcare. So it returns the authority 
of being in the center of the healthcare paradigm in your family and in your own body to the individuals, to the parents involved, and even children can learn this system. And pregnant women can even do that for their babies in utero um, by treating their own pregnant bodies and transmitting that cellular shift to the baby in utero. So these kind of interventions are part of sustainable health. You know, I just want to say I've done the Terra approach and it is very amazing and I, I highly, highly recommend it. But what I found even in myself is the shift, there's a, there's a, a turning that I have to do in myself from looking outside myself for what to do, what, what can I go do to coming inward into my own space. Oh, it's me. I'm going to do this for me. And that kind of, um, I don't even know, should we call it empowerment? Wow, what an unusual feeling in our culture to know, to feel that you can put your hands on yourself or your children and, and be present and help yourself. It, it is, um, it's the opposite, I would say, even of what you were describing earlier, which is our culture uh, setting us up for addiction, which is we have to go out and find something to put on it to stop it instead of we can we can tune in and see to this for ourselves beautiful exactly thank you so much for sharing that experience of yours that is the basis of sustainable health sustainable health means that nobody can take it away from you sustainable health means that you are in the center of the process you are the one who is tapping into the neuroendocrine laboratory that lives inside of you, that is our birthright. That innate health is our birthright. And as I said, I have clinically tested this. The uh, research that I did with children diagnosed with autism uh, was remarkable in that children, this, this was children under the age of eight, uh, children who had patterns that had been named as autistic were able through receiving very minimal uh, touch, applied touch applications, were able to recover capacities, for instance, to take care of themselves, to begin to exceed the limits of learning that were placed on them. Uh, and this was simply by tapping into our own neuroendocrine system and allowing that system to open the windows of opportunity that may have temporarily been shut. So my system, the TARA approach, uh, is definitely part of the sustainable health library. So I'm building a sustainable health cultural library that harvest systems like this from all over the world. Uh, so indigenous healing arts uh, that have always been cued to uh, neurobiology uh, and making those available to people around the world in a digital format that will be easy to access. This is probably my most grandiose undertaking. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect and needed. 
um, so, well, there are two things. Um, I kind of want to go back to birth and uh, the, the climate change consciousness, because I know before we uh, decided to do this call, I had wondered aloud about the relationship between how we birth in our country and what I perceive to be, um, almost, you know, people bring up climate change and I see uh, a tuning out, can't do anything about that, it's too big, almost a helplessness. Uh, it seems like there's probably a relationship here. If you are looking at life as a continuum. Definitely, definitely. So what I have found in my own experience as a woman who chose to have her children at home and who encouraged my elder daughter to have her children at home uh, is that we can safely return to the organic understanding that lives within us, reclaim the birthright of how to birth our children and raise them, parent them, love them from the organic attachment that unfolds when we give ourselves the space to be in the center of the process, when we do not abdicate responsibility. That takes a lot of confidence because we have to, we're always at this juncture working against uh, the fossil fuel brain that is the true pandemic. <laughs> actually. Uh, and, you know, when I think about, you know, the opposition I faced from my own mother, from so many people to having my babies at home uh, and to breastfeeding them for four years and uh, those actions that seemed like writing a poem to me. I, I was uh, writing about writing earlier today. And what I was saying is that when a poem is rising up in me, I cannot refuse it. I, I, I have to just write it. It writes itself. It comes out of my body. So the same thing with having my children at home. It was, how could I do anything else? You know, how could I do anything other than breastfeed my children uh, until they didn't want to breastfeed anymore, <laughs> you know? How could, I mean, they, I couldn't do anything else. So all the people that try to talk me out of that, uh, they didn't stand a chance. You know, they did trouble me. They did cause me to be concerned and doubt myself, but they didn't win. Uh, and, and that, thank God, I'm, I have to just say, in saying all this, I'm feeling good about myself. <laughs> and I, I would not, allow that birthright for myself and for my children to be stolen from us. Uh, so I, I'm not saying that there might not be complications in which, you know, a more allopathic, uh, you know, structured kind of inter intervention wouldn't be life-saving. Of course, we want to have that available when we can uh, and when it's necessary. But that impulse to be so connected with our children, so attuned to them, so sensorily bonded 
at this very indigenous level is what has been stolen from us and that we now have to reclaim. And my concept of sustainable health, my impulse to build a bridge between climate consciousness and the birthing community has that same, same kind of insistence. So it's my passion, it's my indigenous nature, and I want to be a support for others to claim that. I want to use the word indigenous because I, I uh, feel like there's, there's something to what you're saying if, in a whole restored or originally uncorrupted neurobiology perhaps would feel like it belongs to this earth and belongs here. And we are, this is, you know, we're, we're, we're a part of it instead of the fossil fuel mentality, as you said, that it's here for us to extract, 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 and consume, consume, um, instead of, no, this is our home. And this is the piece that I, I remember tripping over a lot and still do with Kindred's work is so much of what we're talking about now just entered the experiential realm. I just, uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce called uh, uh, what we're looking at now as parents a biocultural conflict. And he said, you know, we have intelligence and then we have our intellect. And our intellect can describe things all day long, but it doesn't access our intelligence. This is an act of experience that we need to be able to go into and that activates our, our intelligence and our being and our body. Um, so I just, can you speak a little to, uh, and I know we're gonna be wrapping up here, but just a little to that. Um, I wanna feel hopeful about, and I wanna show the difference between, we're not gonna think our way out of this, which again, that would be voice of, there's my voice of experience. <laughs> I did try. <laughs> Kindred's full of me thinking about things and trying to think of a way out. Um, and then, and then, you know, it turns out that some of this is uh, so experiential. Um, I'm not sure how we're going to provide that for ourselves and each other. The experience of oneness and connection. If we didn't get love, it. Yeah, I love everything that you just said. And I love that you brought in Joseph Chilton Pierce. And what I want to say is this bridge must be constructed out of the intelligence that uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce points us to, and that it is okay not to know, that it is okay to allow it to emerge. The sign to me that I might finally have liberated my own intelligence is that I have stopped trying to fix everything. And you uh, and I were speaking of that earlier, that in fact, it was that mentally driven imperative, that threat level imperative, that I had somehow to fix everything that made me waste some time, uh, that I am now not going to continue to waste. Uh, the spaciousness 
of not knowing the spaciousness, for instance, Lisa, of you and I being here together and looking at this is what will create the intelligence for this bridge. The fact that we can see the bridge, even if it's not completed. The fact that we can feel together that this bridge needs to be built means the bridge will be built. Mm. And I am optimistic. Uh, I know all the dire statistics. I live with an environmental scientist. My husband is an environmental attorney who is really keeping up to date on all the data. I live with it. I know it. But I am optimistic. I am optimistic because of people like you. I'm optimistic because of people like me. I'm optimistic because of my children and my grandchildren. And I am optimistic because of climate change and consciousness, the people in climate change and consciousness, the visionaries who know that we have the capacity to liberate our inner climate and that that will lead to the solutions. Well, I thank you. Thank you so much for coming today, Stephanie. I just don't know anyone like you. <laughs> just, and I have looked. <laughs> I have looked out there, people. You know I have. There's evidence up there on Kindred, like I said, uh, picking up and turning over issues and subjects and how do we do this and how, you know, I, I, I never knew what I was doing. I, I think I, like you, <laughs> just wanted to... Uh, to know, <laughs> I, I think I'm a cat, you know, you can't stop them when they're curious about something, they're going to figure it out. So I just needed to figure it out. Um, and turns out that was the wrong tool to use, <laughs> my intellect. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. So, but uh, what else would you like for our listeners to know about this bridge before we go? Uh, I'd like them to know that I have composed a mission statement that articulates the bridge, which we can share with your readers and your listeners and your communities. I would like them to know about the resources that I provide through the TARA approach and also through climate change and consciousness. I'm still trying to build a bridge between the Tara approach also and climate change and consciousness. So I have a global community of practitioners and teachers, and I want them to be uh, hooked in to this climate consciousness as well. Uh, it has been given to me to do this bridge building. And I also want people to know what an amazing resource Kindred is and what a special person you are and how devoted you are to kindred i think kindred is actually that bridge oh well and that actually brings tears to my eyes uh, oh yeah you know it's a place to we uh, tried to over the years gather up uh people like yourself um, not knowing uh, what is it, where, where are we going, this, this doesn't feel right. This is the uh, Parenting as a Hero's Journey impetus. 
was, uh, I, I don't even know how many years ago, 10 years ago at least, I wrote about this in uh, Pathways magazine, was I, I, I looked at Joseph Campbell's work and he said, the hero's journey begins with a call. You hear it, you can, you know there's something else, there's something else that's supposed to be happening and this is not it. <laughs> but where is that? And you, you set off on the adventure and, you know, it's uh, uh, Star Wars is based on that. George Lucas took his work straight out of the hero's journey. That is a hero's journey, at least originally, um, that you're looking at. By the way, that's why the rest of them fell apart. <laughs> because I left the monomyth <laughs> behind for blowing up things or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this hearing the call I see and... Um, have met so many amazing people over the years who hear the call. And I feel like your work fits right in there with helping us, uh, especially with the Terra and the sustainable health, to help ourselves out of a place of paralysis to begin with. You know, that whole let's put on our oxygen mask before we help anybody else. We're just going to have to do that. <laughs> We're just, we have to have that skill right away uh, in our toolkit. Um, I love, I love that quote from Joseph Chilton Pierce, you know, the hero's journey begins with a call. Everything I've done has begun with a call. And the sustainable health is the bridge between the Tara approach and uh, climate change and consciousness. And all of these, Tara, climate change and consciousness, sustainable health, they all began with a call. Uh, and that's part of what I find is optimistic is we can hear the call that is given to us and if we hear that call and we answer it we're going to make it through this yes well so give us the website of where you are and where we can find you the tara approach is www.tara-approach.org Climate change and consciousness is www.cccearth.org. And you will find me in both those places. Okay. And then you can also find uh, the transcript we'll put up uh, with this recording on Kindred. So if you're finding it on iTunes or SoundCloud, you'll, there'll be a link close by to lead you back to the Kindred page. And that is where you can also find the mission statement that will have a PDF for you to download uh, along with the, the transcript and the recording. So thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you, Lisa.